Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 10 through 14 of the Hunger Games, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. So we pick up right after the tribute interviews where Katniss is really pissed at Peeta for dropping that he has a crush on her in his interview out of nowhere. However, after some convincing from Hamish and Sinna, she agrees that this is a good strategy and lets it go. Now we're at the night before the games begin and Katniss and Peeta have a final conversation on the roof of the tribute center where he confides in her that he doesn't want the games to change who he is. The next day, Katniss is transported to the arena and says her final goodbyes to Sinna. At the start of the games, Katniss is distracted by Peeta and misses her opportunity to grab the bow and arrows from the cornucopia. Um, so she runs off into the woods to hide and find food and water while many of the other tributes fight and die for the goods in the cornucopia. While hiding in a tree, she overhears the career searching for her, at which point she realizes that Peeta has actually teamed up with them to hunt her down. Katniss struggles with dehydration until she's eventually able to find a water source, and she also has to run away from a large fire designed by the game makers to push her closer to the other tributes. She sustains a severe burn on her leg in the process. After the fire, the careers and Peta find her and she is forced to climb a tree to escape them. While in the tree, she receives her first sponsor gift from Hamish, medicine for her burn. With some help from Rue, the female tribute from District 11, she discovers a tracker jacker nest higher up in the tree she's hiding in and she decides to cut it down so it will fall on the careers and either kill them or at least drive them away from her. She manages to free the nest and the tracker jackers attack the careers, killing two of them. However, Katniss was stung a few times in the process and she begins to hallucinate badly. Some of the last things she is able to make out before she blacks out are Peta telling her to run and Kato, the male tribute from District 2, returning to try and kill her. So there's a lot of action packed into just these few chapters and that's actually going to be how it is kind of going forward because once we hit the chapters that take place during the actual Hunger Games, things really start to pick up in terms of like action because a lot of what happens in the like before and after chapters are more character work, which not to say there's not character work being done during the games, because I think some of the best development of these characters happens during the games. But there's definitely like the chapters before and after are sort of where we establish like where characters are at in terms of like the ones before the games are like, oh, who are these characters? And it's our first introduction to them. And then the chapters after the games are like, where are we kind of going from here? Um, but the chapters in the games kind of do a nice job of blending, like still working on these characters and still developing them and showing us how they're adapting to this environment. But also it's very action packed and there's not a lot of like downtime, both literally and figuratively. Um, so first, I just want to start off at the beginning of these chapters right where we left off last week, which was with the tribute interviews and sort of the immediate aftermath of that, because Katniss is very, very angry about this. And I think there's many reasons for that. One, just being, she was not in the loop on this at all. Like no one told her that Peter was gonna say that or that that was his strategy. And she feels very like blindsided by it, um, which actually was kind of their plan because they wanted to get her authentic reaction for the cameras when he said that. Um, but she feels very betrayed by this, especially because of all this confusion of like Peta saying he wants to be trained alone and sort of like abandoning the strategy they had of like presenting themselves as friends in a way that the other districts are not doing. But now Peta's up on stage saying that he has a crush on her and 
like wants to go out with her. So it's a lot of like twists and turns from him. And again, at this point, she still doesn't trust him like at all. Like she's still very wrapped up in this like game they're playing, not just the Hunger Games, but like the sort of game that you have to play before you go into the arena when you're trying to like get sponsors and show the other tributes who you are and get your score from the game makers. Like it's always kind of just this big game going on between all the tributes. And so she doesn't trust PETA at this point. And now him doing this is certainly not helping. And she's already not very happy with Hamish because in her like interview prep, he was basically saying that there's nothing remotely likable about her, but he's able to kind of reason with her and sort of explain like the logic of this plan and why they think it's going to be a good idea and why it's going to help them get a lot of sponsors, which is ultimately the goal of these interviews. Um, So she kind of comes around on the idea and she's still unhappy with them, like for sure, but she gets where they're coming from. And I think also like Sina showing his support for this plan helps a lot because he's the one person here who she like really does trust more than anyone else. Um, So him agreeing and saying that this is a good idea and like urging her to go along with it is definitely a big part of why she eventually like agrees with them and decides that this is a good strategy to pursue. Um, And going off of that, to talk a little bit more about Katniss and Peeta, this collection of chapters does have one of my favorite scenes between the two of them, but specifically one of my favorite scenes for Peeta because it's a really big like establishing moment for his character. And it's also something that comes very, I hesitate to say full circle because full circle kind of seems like it has positive connotations and the way that it circles back around is actually like really awful and sad and heartbreaking and just terrible and it makes me so upset but it's it's really good writing though like it is really good writing um but it really this moment really does come back around when we get to Mockingjay in a very painful way but also a very apparent way and so that's why I think it's one of the most important conversations probably in the entire series Um, And it introduces us to a key aspect of Peta's character that is going to play into his overarching story arc that that eventually comes to a head in Mockingjay in, like I said, a really, really sad and tragic way. Man, can't wait to talk about that. It's going to be so bad. I remember not to go off topic and start talking about Mockingjay but I do remember I I read Mockingjay in a day when I was younger like when I read it for the first time which for me was impressive because I was one not the fastest reader and I also just like didn't love reading that much but I literally like sat on my couch and read I think the entirety of the book or if at least like majority of it and I, I I remember so vividly like reading about what happened to PETA in that book Anyway, I won't get too into that because we're not supposed to be jumping ahead and talking about things that happen in the third book in case anyone wants to experience things for the first time. So I guess that's just my little teaser that unfortunately, well, obviously it gets sad. It already is sad. It's been sad from page one. Hello, like think about what the series is about. But for PETA specifically, it gets very dark. Um, And I apologize in advance if this is your first time reading or if you're experiencing the books through this podcast, it's going to be a lot for you. It's a lot for me, and I've read Mockingjay more times than I can count. So the first time experiencing it, though, is 
is so it's really a lot but anyway back to talking about this rooftop scene the main theme of what Pita is talking about is how he doesn't want the games to change him aka like he doesn't want them to make him into this like cold-blooded ruthless killer who doesn't care about anyone or anything which is really interesting to Katniss because she they have very different priorities in general but especially like going into these games where their mindsets are like obviously they both want to win like neither of them wants to go and die they want to win and return home but their motivations are very different because Katniss is doing this for herself yeah like again like she wants to survive but it's mostly for Prim like she knows that if she dies Prim is going to be basically left alone I mean she has their mother but her mother didn't react well to her father's death and wasn't really there for them. So who knows what would happen if Katniss dies and Prim could end up all on her own or who knows what could happen. And also just like she loves Prim so much, she doesn't want to leave her behind. And so for Katniss coming from that perspective, she can't even imagine having this mindset that, that Peta has because Peta even admits like, yeah, he would kill someone like, to defend himself like if it came down to it he would do it but he's not going to be like hunting people down and like going out of his way to kill people like that's not going to be his thing which to be fair it's not really Katniss's strategy either just in terms of like being like it's not smart when you're one person and you know that there's most likely going to be a group of careers who are going to team up with each other to hunt you down you don't want to just go out and look for a fight because they're not going to make it very long if they do that. But Katniss is very much like, I'm going to do what I need to do to survive and to win this and to go home to my sister and my mother. So she can't even imagine going in with this mindset of like, I'm not going to let the games change me. She's just completely thinking of her own survival, which is very in line with her character, because that's what she's had to worry about her entire life, like her survival and her family's survival. And in this circumstance, it's her own survival at stake. And then by extension of that, it's still her family's survival because like Gail can help provide for them. They can make it through the time that she's at the games. But if she doesn't come back, like who knows how long they're going to be able to survive off of the goodwill of other people and what they can provide for themselves and what Gail is willing and able to provide. So it once again is a matter of survival for her. Whereas Peta didn't grow up having to hunt for his own food or having to like struggle to have enough to eat because he is the baker's son you know like they they had food not to say like oh their life was so great and so easy but they did have food and so he I don't want to say like he can afford the luxury of like worrying about his morals going into this because again like at the end of the day if it's a matter of life or death and if you have to kill someone to survive he's gonna do it but he also prioritizes his his own values and his own beliefs and like the kind of person that he knows he is um and I think I talked about this when I talked about the first few chapters of like Peta's kindness not just being something that is key to his character but it's also something that he himself really values and this is the scene where we get to see that like where he says it flat out and so I just think that this is a really great scene for us to get a lot of insight into like how he views himself and what is important to him because it's like 
it's literally the night before the games. So it's, it says a lot about a character of like, what are they thinking about in that moment when they know that they could literally be dead the next day? Um, and so the fact that this is what's on his mind and this is what's keeping him up and this is what he's going into the games thinking about is really indicative of who he is as a person. And it's also a great moment for him and Katniss because there's still a lot of distrust between them, hostility, like it's not like they're suddenly best friends. But I think this is definitely a moment, at least for the time being, where she kind of starts to see this other side of him and sort of starts to look beyond like, maybe he's just tricking me or using me for the sake of this game and starts to see like the person underneath all of that and what he actually values and what is actually important to him and not just for the sake of survival. And then, like I said, the way it connects back in Mockingjay is beautifully written and super sad and heartbreaking. Um, There's one little like tidbit of information that I want to talk about a bit because it's something that I noticed when I was actually reading Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes for the first time and I kind of connected it back to this book and I was like, oh, and there's a lot of great continuity between Ballad and the original trilogy of books and we'll get in, we will get into it. Um, when we talk about Ballad, it's going to be a lot. One, because that book is longer. And two, because, I mean, the point of this podcast is to prep for that movie adaptation. So there's going to be a lot of talk about that book and also a lot of talk about, like, in the weeks coming up to the movies, a lot of thoughts about, like, how I think it's going to play as a movie and what I want out of it. And then obviously after the movie, lots of discussion on that. So get ready. But I just want to talk briefly about a continuity thing that's not, it's not like a big spoiler for Ballad or anything. It's just a like world building thing that I found very interesting. So in this book, in these chapters, it is mentioned, or Katniss refers to a previous games in which there was a tribute who would like eat people's hearts after he killed them. Um, And it turns into a wider thing of like, cannibalism kind of being the biggest like no-go in the games like that's kind of that's where the capital draws the line out of everything sort of like like they'll allow some awful awful things for to happen in the games and like tributes can do a lot of stuff but there was this specific instance where they like had to go out of their way to stop this tribute from literally eating the other tributes bodies and I think it eventually got to the point where they had to like just kill him off because no one wanted to watch that and you know it's like it's a little interesting in the fact that it's like okay so that's where you draw the line like killing children is fine but now you're gonna have to draw the line somewhere but also when you think about it it's like okay yeah who who wants to watch people eat each other like that's disgusting um then again who wants to watch children kill each other but we've already we're already past that that's already been completely normalized in this society specifically in the capital but they don't like watching it. But then in Ballad, it's mentioned that during what is referred to as the Dark Days, which was like the first rebellion that happened 74 years before the Hunger Games. Um, And so 10 years before Ballad is when it ended. This like, it's when the districts rose up against the Capitol and District 13 was destroyed in some events that we will talk about a lot because District 13 has a lot going on with it, um, (laughs) clearly. 
But one thing that is mentioned valid is that some of the capital citizens, when things were like really bad during the war, turned to cannibalism. Like there's mention of like people like eating the bodies on the streets and to survive during the war when like even the people of the capital didn't have enough food, which this idea of like the capital citizens starving during that time and especially how it affected Snow's family is something that I will talk about at length and how it like contributes to his character. And so this is kind of like an oversimplification of it because I don't really want to get into it yet because we are not there yet. Um, But it is like a known thing and like Snow even mentions it like in that book of like he remembers seeing some of his classmates parents like out on the street literally eating other people to survive and it's obviously something that going forward knowing how the capital works like you start to look down on the people who had to do that to live because that's what they do they look down on people who have to do unpleasant things to survive and that doesn't change in the 64 years in between these books But I do think it's interesting that that was like a known thing in the capital and it's something that now they don't want to see in the games. I do think that there's a correlation there and I think it was very intentionally referenced. Um, And I just think it's really interesting of like, this is something that the citizens of the capital had to do during the first war to survive. And then people like looked down on them for it and thought it was terrible and, and disgusting and never wanted to think about it again so then years and years later when someone starts doing it in the hunger games they're immediately like oh no we can't have that we don't want to see that it it reminds us of things that either we had to do or our neighbors had to do or someone we know had to do to survive during like this bad period for us and so it's the one big thing in the games that's like an absolute no-go like they don't allow it they'll stop it because the people at the capital get particularly upset by it but also knowing the people of the capital, I don't think they're upset by it in like a normal way of like, obviously no one wants to watch cannibalism. Like that's just messed up and I don't even want to think about it. And so of course no one would want to watch that. But I think they're more upset by it in a way of like, it reminds us of when we were not on top and when we had to struggle. And so we don't want to see it because now we're back on top and we don't want to think about the time when we weren't so just a little interesting thing that I bring up more often than I should because it's one of like the smaller continuity things in between Ballad and the original books but it's such an interesting like world building fact that I just kind of feel obligated to share anyway (laughs) moving on from that because I don't want to talk about it anymore um let's talk about hey Mitch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shocking I know I'm I bet everyone was just wondering when I was gonna bring him up here we are um and I know what you're thinking they're going into the arena he's not there however that's actually exactly what I want to talk about is the way that Hamish's presence is felt throughout the entire book despite the fact that he's not in it for the duration of the time they're in the games and I think it's really fascinating. And I think it's something that like is a unique challenge that Suzanne Collins must have had when writing these books is like the only out of our, let's take like our main cast, for example, of this book, or at least like main in terms of significance to the story. So obviously we have Katniss and Peeta, and then we have like 
Hamish and Senna who are there for the time when they're in the capital. And we have Prim and Gail who are back home in District 12. So the challenge being, how do you incorporate all these characters into the story and make them well-developed and fleshed out when the story is told in first person and the first person narrator is going to be locked away in an arena with only the 23 other tributes for the majority of the book, pretty much. And I think it's definitely something that as a writer, I'm sure she had to think about because it's, it's difficult. Like it's, it's, it's not as easy as just, oh, when we get like three quarters through the book, Katniss is going to have another conversation with Hamish and we're going to learn a lot about him in the process. Like they can't do that because she's in the arena and there's no way for them to contact each other. So it's a question of like, how do you make these characters' presence be felt and how do we learn more about them despite the fact that they're not there? And so all of that has to be done through Katniss. And this is one of the points where Katniss and Hamish being so similar really starts to pay off because he is in charge of sending them their sponsored gifts. So like, and like arranging deals and whatnot. So like when she gets the medicine that she gets in these chapters, that's a result of Hamish having to like reach out to people who are interested in sponsoring them and gather the money necessary to afford that because we know that like even just a small amount of medicine in the arena it costs so much money and we have to come from like multiple sponsors most likely so we know that Katniss and Peta have like good reliable sponsors or at least Katniss at this point we don't really know what's going on with Peta um we'll get there anyway <laughs> um and so well first before she even gets that we have she's completely dehydrated and she's starting to think like why is Hamish not sending me water I'm like like she's literally about to die of dehydration pretty much like she does not have that much longer she can go without water so at first she's like Hamish is just like leaving me to die but then she starts to realize or he's not using sponsor money on water because he knows that I've almost found it and then she uses that to like keep going forward and then she ends up finding it um so that they have this like weird way of not necessarily communicating but she's kind of like getting what he's the message that he's trying to send her that I think is just so interesting I would love to go inside his brain and see what's going on in there and same for Katniss I mean we kind of get to because it's all from her point of view um but hey Mitch I would love to know what's going on inside of his mind like 99% of the time but anyway that's so beside the point and then yeah she gets the medicine from him and so she knows that like he didn't forget about her and he actually was trying to be helpful with the water thing and this is actually something that I will talk a little bit about like the book to movie difference in a way in like a very positive way um is that in the movie the sponsor gifts come with these little slips of paper with like little notes from their mentors, which is not a thing in the book. And I think from a storytelling perspective, it's a really good idea because in the book, we can get Katniss sort of reasoning through these things um, and sort of like figuring out the message that Hamish is trying to send with whatever gift. But in the movie, it would be harder to do that. So I like that they included these little slips from him so that we know what he's thinking and what the like communication between them is without her, without having to be inside of Katniss's mind to get it. And so I think that that was a really good choice for them when making the movie. Um, that's just a little thing I wanted to mention because I feel like 
I say I'm not going to talk too much about like book and movie differences and the few times that I have brought it up it's been like in a negative way um and I don't want it to seem like I'm just being like every change they made is bad because I don't think that's the case and I also recognize that there are just certain things that like are never going to be able to translate as well into a film as they do in a book and that's just like the reality of book to movie adaptations but I do think it's important to point out things that like really did work and so I'm going to try to focus on that a lot when I eventually do episodes on the movies which I'm going to do like after each book I'm going to do an episode on the movie that corresponds to that book so that should be exciting anyway um but yeah I do love how Hamish's presence is really felt even when they're in the arena and that doesn't just go for him. Like, I think that applies to Cinna. It applies to Prim. It applies to Gail. Like, everyone who's a big part of the series but doesn't get to be in the arena with Katniss and Peeta, there has to be some extra work done to make sure that those characters are really fully fleshed out. And I think it's a really good way that the series is laid out. Whereas, like, in the Hunger Games and then in Catching Fire we kind of have this thing of like okay they're in the arena for a big portion of the book but we still manage to like develop these characters through Katniss and then we get to Mockingjay and then we can have everyone be there not like everyone there for the whole time but like we get to see each character throughout the book anyway Susan Collins is a genius that's the only point of me talking about this that's what I was getting at so Another little thing about Katniss's character that I want to mention that we have known since the beginning, but like even when I was rereading through these chapters to take my notes for this episode, I was like, girl, because she is so resourceful. And that doesn't even feel like a strong enough word. Like every single page, she's like reasoning through these survival problems and like how to live in the woods and how to get food and how to get water and shelter. And just like, first of all, the amount of thought that has to go into surviving the Hunger Games, like sometimes you think like, oh, you have to go into Serena and fight people and be able to like find food, water and shelter. But that's such a like oversimplification of how much it actually takes to survive especially in the conditions of the arena where the game makers are going out of their way to make difficult living conditions. Like it gets super, super cold at night, but it can also get really hot during the day. Stuff like that. That's just like even more extreme than if it were just a normal forest somewhere. Everything is designed to make it hard to survive. And so the little things that she has to reason through that are I say little, but they're actually life or death, but there's so many like split second decisions she makes that like she literally could have been dead any one of those times if she wasn't as smart as she is. And so to survive as long as some of these people do in the games, you have to acknowledge like their level of intelligence. Like we obviously we have people like the careers where like they all team up and so they can just take whatever supplies they want and like hide out in the cornucopia and no one's going to attack them because they outnumber them and they have more training. But like some of these individual tributes who managed to make it pretty far in the games and we'll get to who they are like as we go on and more people start to get killed off. Like the level of skill and intelligence it would take you to survive that long is not something that can be over-exaggerated. And so there are so many little moments where Katniss is working through these things and it just like is amazing to me. And it's something that I don't even think she thinks about sometimes like she knows she has survival skills 
she's had to provide for her family her whole life. But the extent of her knowledge, and also like this is where her family being healers comes in because her mother is a healer, and that's obviously like that's what Prune is gonna be. Like everyone knows that's that's what she's good at. She loves it, she finds strength in it, and it's never been Katniss's thing. And I talked about this obviously a few weeks ago, hence the episode title. Um, <laughs> but she still retains a lot more of that than she thinks. Like when she gets this burn, she doesn't know exactly how to treat it, but she's like, okay, I remember my mother treating burn victims because we're from district 12 and we have everyone. And most people there are coal miners. And it's also, there's a line later on in this book. And I don't think I'm going to say too much about the context, but it's basically Katniss saying that like the re that the thing she actually has an, an advantage over, and she's also like referring to Rue, her and Rue have an advantage over the careers is that they know how to be hungry and the careers don't because they've always had enough to eat because when they come from districts one, two, and four, they're not having to worry about like literally not having, having enough food every single day. And they've never had to go without eating for these long stretches of time like Katniss has and like Rue has. And so obviously the careers always have an advantage. They almost always win because they usually like group up and team up with each other and go after everyone else. And also they train their whole lives for this and they're, they're bigger and they're more muscular and they like are physically stronger, but also the people from the higher number districts, like 11 and 12 have the survival skills that I was talking about because it hasn't been easy for them to survive this long. Like I, like Katniss even talks about in the first few chapters about people surviving to old age in district 12 being such a big deal. And it's so celebrated because like not that many people live that long. And a lot of people die as children of starvation or the cold or you name it. So the fact that she has even survived as long as she has the huge testament to her specifically in Katniss's case, because she's literally the reason that her and her family are alive. And it was not easy for her. Like she almost didn't make it and also I mean Peta also played a part in that and again he's just so great so selfless I just love him sorry at this point he's working with the careers so we're gonna leave him be for now we'll get into all the intricacies of that probably next week as that starts to become more apparent what what he's actually up to because it's kind of a mystery with him right now because he teams up with the careers and Katniss is kind of like, okay, well, I guess all that stuff he was saying was just to get me off my game again, whatever. And then basically it goes back to not trusting him and what happened to the strategy of us being in love and should she still try to play that up, whatever. Um, and also as a reader, you don't really know why Peta is teaming up with the careers. Like we don't have a lot of information. You don't know if he like was forced into it or it's part of some strategy he has or if he literally just thinks it's the best method for winning and doesn't care what happens to Katniss and was all that stuff he's in on the rooftop just a lie and then once we get to the end of these chapters after the tracker jackers we have him like yelling at Katniss to run and to get away from Cato which is him looking out for her and saving her and helping her to survive so and it's also very muddled because she literally doesn't really know what's real in that moment because she's hallucinating so badly. And I will talk about 
tracker jackers because oh my god um <laughs> but for Peta, it's it's kind of a big question mark of what he's doing right now and what's his strategy and it kind of has been the whole book like as a reader you're inclined to like him because he's like the secondary protagonist and even though Katniss doesn't really trust him it sort of seems like he has good intentions but then you kind of get to this middle point and it's like well maybe not you know like maybe he is just out for himself and maybe he was just lying to her this whole time so it's still kind of unclear what his motives are and what his plan is going forward um and so now the tracker jackers literally terrifying i am a person who is so scared of bees so me as a child reading about these super messed up like laboratory experiment wasps that can kill you very easily i hated it terrifying to me and then when you learn about later on what some of the other applications of tracker jacker venom are let's just say i maybe still have nightmares about these messed up bees like it like they're terrifying there's so many like weird messed up mutts in the series all so scary the detail that is put into creating these like messed up creatures that the capital created is terrifying <laughs> um like there's there's the ones at the end of this book that have a very specific detail about them that like literally could give anyone nightmares and then there's multiple different ones in catching fire and then there's one specific type of my in mocking jay that is ugh. anyway they're scary there's also some in ballad but as for the tracker jackers we also have already learned about jabber jays and then going on from that mocking jays at this point i think jabber jays are actually very interesting though they're still kind of creepy especially like some of the applications for them in i'm thinking about one thing in catching fire um but they're definitely creepy still like a bird that can spy on you and record what you say and they also can be like controlled a little too much like they're real birds but they're like almost remote controlled not like they kind of are like again this is a valid thing i'm so sorry i keep getting into things that are invalid i just i think that book is incredible obviously i don't need to keep saying that because we all know that i think it and it's true but yeah the <laughs> jabber jays and ballad of songbirds and snakes you <laughs> think about you every single day anyway uh back to the hunger games though because it's, it's the first book and I shouldn't be jumping ahead as much as I am today, but we're starting to get to the point where things really start to tie in. And so I'm really having to restrain myself because I'm like, I purposely advertise this as could be for people who have never read them before. And I will stick to that. I'm determined to do it. So I'm just going to talk about track projectors in this book and how they're super scary. And also this scene where Katniss is hallucinating, like at the very, very end, of the 14th chapter right where we left off oh it's 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 really well written i know i say that about everything because i think the entire series is like perfectly written but the way that we because we're inside of katniss's head and 
she doesn't even know what's real inside her own mind. So we're just getting kind of this like mash of information and like descriptive words and things happening and sounds and who even knows what's going on at this point. And then out of all that, we get Peta telling her to run and Kato coming out to try to kill her. And that's basically the last thing that she could like clearly, not even clearly, but like vaguely make out before she's completely out of it and then just blacks out. Being inside the head of someone who is having severe hallucinations from Tracker Jacker Venom and can't tell what's real and what's not, I think if you've read them before, you know where I'm going with this. And I'm so sorry. Flashback to me like one minute ago saying that I was going to try to stop jumping ahead. Here's the thing though. I'm not necessarily jumping ahead. I just think that it's important to point out things that are going to be extremely relevant later. This is one of those things. So just maybe reread the end of chapter 14 and just kind of remember the description of what it's like inside the mind of someone who has had tracker jacker venom injected into their body because it might be relevant. And by might be, I mean it's extremely relevant. And now reading this chapter, I can't not think about what happens later involving tracker jacker venom. So, you know, maybe tab that page in your books. Let's move on. (laughs) Because if I keep talking about tracker jackers, I think I'm going to go insane. I think the last thing I want to talk about is Rue because she is going to be very important in the coming chapters, which you can pretty obviously tell based on the fact that she is actually the one who pointed out the nest to Katniss. Um, And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that Rue makes Katniss think of Prim because they're both the same age. And, you know, Katniss is thinking that like that could have been Prim if she had not volunteered for her. Like if she, and if Prim hadn't had someone who could volunteer for her, like you see Rue and you're like, she's a 12 year old and there was no one there to take her place either because she didn't have siblings or they weren't the right age or they simply were not willing to like the case of someone like Peta who did have a brother of the right age to volunteer for him, but decided not to because like we talked about like family loyalty only goes so far on reaping day but the way that rue helps cat first of all rue is doing very well for her like we don't know that much about what she's doing right now so she could be struggling but like from what we know she's doing very well for the fact that she's a very small person but she's very she's very like fast she's very stealthy like katniss literally she sees her like jumping from tree to tree in these chapters like she can definitely she can get around on her own she can hide very well so it's not that she would likely fare very well in a fight with one of the other tributes just based on like size training you name it but sometimes those kind of survival skills and the ability to like hide and run and stay out of harm's way are actually the things that end up winning for a person over like physical fighting ability. But she also helps Katniss. And I think it's very telling of who Katniss is because Katniss doesn't see herself as a like person in any way. Like she can't even comprehend like why 
someone who doesn't know her well at all would care so much about her. But we as a reader can see it. Like, it's not even necessarily to say that, like, oh, she's the most charismatic person ever. She's the most, like, warm and friendly person ever. Like, it's not those things. But it's her heart and her spirit. And also, everyone in the country has to watch the reapings. The entire country, including her fellow tributes, watched her volunteer for her sister. And like I said, that's not something to be taken lightly. So seeing that, you know that there is good in this person, even though obviously they're in a circumstance that's designed to bring out the worst in people and they don't necessarily have a say in whether or not that happens because they all want to survive. But to know there's someone who would do that for their sister, it makes sense to me why Rue is kind of drawn to her and kind of tries to help her. And she, like, she holds back. Like, she is off in a different tree. She never, like, at least to this point, like, goes right up to Katniss and tries to, like, form an alliance with her or anything. Because you can't really trust anyone in the arena. And it's, trust is a really big theme in this series. I realize now that I've been talking about it a lot, but it, it is. Um, and I will continue to talk about trust as it relates to Katniss and her relationships with other people. But the fact that Rue at least trusts her enough and cares about her survival enough to help her and point out this nest to her when she could have easily just let her die and eliminated another competitor. And I also think it's a thing of like, no one wants the careers to win other than like the careers themselves, their districts, maybe the capital. I don't know. The capital, it's, it's, can, can kind of go either way because obviously you want to see the careers win because the careers are like the districts that are most closely united with the capital and they're wealthier and whatnot. But also there's this kind of like idea of like underdogs in the games where like it's more interesting to people if like the girl from District 12 wins rather than just some person from District 1 or 2 or 4 who win every single year because they like it's obviously a big thing of like, we can't let the games become boring because then people won't want to watch and blah, blah, back and forth. And it's boring if people from the same three districts win every single year using the same strategies. Anyway, beside the point, especially the people from like the higher number districts, they don't want the careers to win. In fact, they'd probably rather anyone else win because we know that the districts get rewards if a tribute from that district wins. The people from districts one and two and four do not need those rewards the way that the people from districts 10, 11, 12, etc. do. And so there's also, I feel like, a bit of a bond there between Rue and Katniss, where like, for example, for Katniss, she would want, if she's, if she's not going to win, she would want Rue to win, because at least then the rewards would go to a district that really needs it, and vice versa. Which is also obviously her attitude towards PETA even more so. And it's more personal of like, although she does say in these chapters that she actually would rather ruin than PETA because she's very upset with him for teaming up with the careers, as she should, especially not knowing what his motivations are. Like, yeah, I would be mad too. But, you know, it's just this kind of like agreement between her and Rue that it's not, it's not like a spoken agreement. I feel like they just both kind of get it of like, at least your district needs the food and the money. And and so they kind of have this like 
mutual understanding almost that is obviously going to grow between the two of them. Um, but it's nice to see the perspective of someone who doesn't really know Katniss, who is still willing to help her because of the things she's seen of her up to that point. Like it's very telling about how the people of Panem and how like, and we can infer from that how the people of District 12 must view Katniss. And that's something that gets touched on a little bit of like at the reaping when people are like genuinely like moved by her and are really willing to look out for her family. And a lot of that is because of Prim, but a lot of that is also because of Katniss and like what she means to the people of District 12. And it's something that she never thought that she meant anything to them. And she probably would never think that she means anything to anyone in Panem other than like her close friends and family. So to see someone like Rue, who's completely like outsider on Katniss's life, immediately be drawn to her and be willing to help her at her own risk too. It really says a lot about who Katniss is and also like Rue and her own goodness. But yeah, she sort of starts to emerge a bit more as a character in this section and will a lot more going forward specifically in the next section. But I think I'm going to leave it at that today and just finish by saying that I love her so much. Thank you for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. Next week, I'll be doing my very first character study episode, which will be about Katniss, because who else would I start with? The following week, I'll return to the book covering chapters 15 through 18 of The Hunger Games. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any of my social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week. Thank you.